Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to The Mentor, I'm Mark Boris. Ruslan Kogan, welcome to The Mentor, mate. Pleasure to be here, thank you. Been a long time, but you probably don't remember, but uh, many, many years ago I was the uh, head of a, a, a group of people who uh, chose you to be on the front cover of BRW magazine, which most people don't even know what it is these days, but it's an old business review weekly. I think it used to be called BRW, yeah. owned by Fairfax. It was a really popular thing to be on the front of back then and uh, we picked you out as being um, the number one entrepreneur, young entrepreneur that Australian was producing in that particular year. Don't ask me which year it was. I don't know if you remember. Do you remember? Yeah, it was a while ago. Um, I actually have that magazine in the office still and it hangs on the wall and the average age of our team is fairly young. So they they look at it as like, oh, what's that? You know, the oh, magazines existed at some point. It looks uh, like an antique. Sort of thing. Yeah, it is. So it's an antique. They they haven't they haven't heard of it, but um, you know, I, I try and tell them, don't worry, that was a big deal back then. That was a big deal. But then uh, you just thank kicked you off for then. that. We just kicked off too. Yeah, it was it, the business was just getting started. It was obviously pretty popular and, um, you know, people really loved what we were doing, but compared to where we are now, it, it was tiny. And it was at a time too, I was going to recall that, um, you know, all the people you compete with today, you know, like I'm, I'm not going to pick on anyone in particular, but I'll pick on Jerry, who's a friend of mine, and Katie, um, they were saying, ah, there's no way this online business is ever going to take our business away from them. And, uh, of course, you were out there promoting online and, you uh, but today, of course, everybody does online. All everyone's got a website and sells online. You were ahead of your time. How did you work this stuff out? I mean, what was it that made Rosalind think this is something I can do? Well, yeah, we were the principal voice back then for e-commerce and online retail, and many other uh, business leaders were saying, "Hey, it's not going to work. It's not real. Um, it's never going to scale." So, it is, um, you know, I guess. Uh, very good now that others have acknowledged e-commerce is real and here to stay and it sort of uh, justifies the position we had back then. I had grown up with technology. I'd always had the latest gadgets, always playing around with various things, ran a website design business through high school. So I could see very early on in the piece that um, creating marketplaces or connecting people using the internet was going to be very efficient. And um, if you're going to run a price leadership business model, doing it online 
uh, was going to be the best place to do it. So I went to college in the US for a semester. I saw the rise of online retail there. It hadn't happened yet in Australia and then got the idea for this business model, knowing that it is a way to cut out costs and to make products cheaper for consumers. And you said you were in the US, but I'd probably like to wind it back a long way back and let's just have a little talk about where the hell does Ruslan Kogan come from? What is that name? Like which part of the world do you originate from? Yeah, so I was born in a shithole little village (laughs) called Bobruysk um, in Belarus. And when I was six years old, uh, my parents left there with me and my sister. I wanted to create better opportunities for us. They had $90 to their name and came to Australia. So... Uh, 1989. It's a bit of a mystery in Belarus to most Australians. I mean, is it Russian or, I mean, it sounds like it means beautiful Russia or something like that. Uh, But it's sort of next door to Poland. It's above uh, Ukraine. It's to the left of Russia, I think is Russia. Well, for me as a child, I I thought it was beautiful there. I remember, you know, going mushroom foraging in the forest with my parents or, um, you know, lots of snow and being pulled around in the snow sled um, on the way to kindergarten by my mum and things like that. So the memories and all of that are all very nice. Like I had a, I had a, um, you know, very loving home that I was raised in and I don't remember a single bad thing. When I do call it a shithole little village in Belarus, that's from about 10 years ago I uh, took my mum back there to, you know, visit where we grew up and all of that and seeing it with those new fresh eyes, it was like, whoa, these buildings are decrepit, the political landscape is pretty dodgy, Um, businesses don't get to operate freely, you need to register if you want to use the internet, like all all of these sort of things made me go, oh, all right. Uh, I just kept saying, mum, thank you so much for getting me out of here. Thank you so much for getting us out of here. Um, Yeah, so it's only with the benefit of hindsight that you – you know how good things can be and we live in the best country in the world here. Uh, But as a little kid where all you want is the attention of your parents and to play and have fun, I had a, you know, the things there were very nice. There's no bad memories of it. But that's on your parents. That's what your parents have done for you. Yeah, definitely. They They left with 90 bucks in their pocket. That's a big deal. I mean, like, I mean, I can't imagine what it'd be like to do that and my my dad did the same, but I can't imagine what it would be like to live like that or to or to be so stressed out, especially with two kids. Definitely. It's a when you think about what it takes to be an immigrant and what it takes to be an entrepreneur, they're very similar. You've got to drop everything you've got, take a massive risk, travel into the unknown, and work your butt off for a potential benefit that might not even be there. So I joke that my parents don't have any business skills. You know, they grew up in a communist country, they're per hour employees and all of that. But I think that immigrants are highly pre-selected people that have the DNA to kick ass in business. They are risk takers. They are hard workers. And um, I credit my parents with that. Like I didn't realise it at the time, uh, but I am so grateful now when I look back on it for all of the sacrifices, all of the hard work, the risks they took to enable uh, my sister and I 
to live the lives that we live now. And that shithole, um, I can't pronounce the name of the Bobroisk. joint. Yeah. <laughs> that That is, uh, you share some uh, heritage from that same place with, uh, you mentioned when you walked into our studios, you saw someone else up on the wall. Uh, who else comes from there that you know of? Yeah, so Gary Vaynerchuk is, um, or Gary V is, uh, most people know him, is also from Bobruisk. So our parents are friends. They were actually, my parents were in um, the US uh, a few years ago hanging out with Gary's parents. So they're they're friends from Bobruisk. They both fled at roughly the same time. It's just um, his family went to the US and we went to Australia. And Gary, of course, is uh, like a, a manic Entrepreneur, um, absolutely manic. I mean, about about being an entrepreneur, like, yeah. and uh, it seems like that, that seems like a bit of a common trait between at least two people. That that's not a bad survey. Hundred yeah. percent of two. There's not many people um, in Bobrovsk. It's got a quite a small population, and um, yeah, maybe there's you know, I say it's a shit hole, but maybe the water there's really good or something. There, maybe they've got something right. So when you came to Australia, you're a kid, little kid, and uh, you went to school. You yep. obviously didn't speak English. You would have been speaking Russian, I presume. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what they speak Russian and Belarus, yeah? Yeah. All, there, is a, there is a language called Belarusian, but I, I wouldn't even know it. I, I, I know Russian. I, I could probably understand Belarusian, but there's lots of different dialects and and all of that. But, yeah. But my even I, that trip that I went back with my mum a while ago, I remember – being in hotels and speaking to them in Russian and they'd answer back to me in English. So while, while my Russian, all, all I knew when we got here was Russian, I think now I think in English. You think, so, and it's much harder to speak in Russian or another language when you think in English because you're translating all the time. You've got to remember the words. Yeah. So when you came to school here, you know, obviously you're speaking in a different language, you learn how to speak English. At what point in your life did you do you reckon that you think you could be in business for yourself I actually remember that my parents, when we got here, you know, the big professions are seen as being a doctor or a lawyer. Yeah, that's a deal. And that's like you've got to study really hard and then you're going to get really good marks and you can become a doctor or a lawyer. That's what happened to my family, exactly what happened to me and my brother. And I remember very early on, I think my dad cut his finger. He was doing something in the backyard or or somewhere was like, doing something, cut his finger, and all this blood started gushing out. I lost the plot. I I cannot stand the size of blood. I'm like, ah, oh, what's going on? I'm like, I'm running around, running away, like calling mum, screaming. And then mum goes to my grandma. She's like, oh, bad news. <laughs> He's not going to be a doctor. <laughs> Grandma's like, don't worry, it's fine. He'll grow out of it. He'll learn, he'll learn, he'll grow out of it and so on. So, you know, from the... Early days, it was my parents were like, hey, study really hard. You could be one of these professions. I started then running some of my own little businesses and ventures from like nine years old. I what was your in, first one? I lived in the Housing Commission Flats in Elstonwick in Melbourne and there was a golf course nearby. So I would patrol the the fence line of the golf course and there's all these balls that people had hit and couldn't be bothered looking for or picking up. I'd pick them up, take them home, wash them, go into the golf course at the weekend, sell them to them at 50 cents a pop. Um, not huge money but, you know, you'd, you'd make 10 or $20 a weekend and that made you pimper the milk bar so I could buy whatever candy or lollies that I wanted. 
Um, then I ran a car wash design, a, a car wash, um, a car wash business, then a web design business, and and so on. So always involved in that. But I guess um, I'd never really thought, hey, I want to be, uh, I want to run a business. It was just more like little ventures here and there that I'm like, oh, I see a need for this or people want their car washed or the internet's fairly new. Nobody knows how to make websites, but I do. Let me make it for them. So it was never an active, I want to be an entrepreneur or I want to be a businessman. It was more of a, I know that if I provide value to people, I can make some money from it and then I can buy things that I want. I was staying at a place up in North Queensland with my family and, um, I took Jerry Harvey, your competitor, out for dinner and I paid. And he said, look, tomorrow my turn, you come play golf with me. So we go to the golf course and I brought one of my sons. He brought his son, John. We hit the balls into the rough and I thought, oh, stuff this. I'm going to just get another ball out because Jerry's shouting me. So he gave me a bag of balls and on the bag of balls were, were a cross on every ball. And uh, and I'm sure I got a bag of balls and just get the next ball out and hit it. And um, Jerry said, no, no, no. He said, you're not doing that. He said to my son, Nick, he said, grab a, a club. Uh, John, you grab a club. He said, we're going to go into the rough. And there's a sign there. Beware. Oh, crocodiles. Brown snakes. Oh. <laughs> Breeding area, right? And it's a rough. There's grass and <laughs> shit everywhere. I'm saying, well, what are you doing, Jerry? Like, where are you going? He said, oh, I'm going to teach the boys a lesson. So he went in there and I didn't go. I just stayed with the, at the cart. He came back about 10, 15 minutes later with a whole heap of golf balls. And he said, no one ever goes because of the sign. Beware. Uh, snakes, mm-hmm. and he said, "That's why they don't go in." He said, "I know that." He said, "So I go and get all my golf balls." He said, the golf balls that I gave you to play with, he said, "I recovered out of that <laughs> out of that rough." And uh, and I asked him later on why he does that. I mean, like you know, he's a billionaire. What's the point? And as we're walking down the green t- towards the green, he said to me, "Mark, I've always believed or had the view that." At some, at any stage in my life, this could all be taken away from me. And to some extent, you know, Jerry came up from a poor family. So when people like you or Jerry or maybe even me, I'm, I think that way a bit. Do you find sometimes what drives on entrepreneurs is that prospect of going back to where they started from, and that that becomes a big driver? To find, not in your case, to find golf balls, but you know, just a driver. A motivator, possibly, but I think it also goes back to like what we we're discussing before that an immigrant and an entrepreneur have lots in common of not being scared to take a risk and not being scared of hard work. What you just described is there's a sign saying "Be careful, snakes." So most people go, "Ooh, risk, turn around." An incredible businessman like Jerry did not say, "Ooh, risk, so let's run away." It said, oh, risk, all right, let's go have a look. Opportunity. Yeah, and then on top of that, it's going to be a bit of hard work going and fetching the balls and looking around, so there's going to be hard work involved. Didn't say, oh, who cares, you know, I've got enough money to buy 500 balls, like let's just keep smacking them around, we never have to search for one. Nah, there's a lot of inner fulfilment you get from hard work and there's a lot of inner fulfilment you get from taking a risk backing yourself, doing the hard work and seeing things pan out the way you thought they were panning out or being faced with a bit of adversity and a few things going wrong, you having to adjust your strategy 
and then working hard, taking more risks, and then having it work out. So I think that there's a bit of that uh, that is the that is the driver. So um, obviously, yeah, being an entrepreneur or a business person and the rewards from taking those risks and working hard are great. But if you look at entrepreneurs and business people worldwide, many of them could retire whenever they want and they would still be able to, you know, do the things that they like doing. But they don't. Like Steve Jobs kept going till... Day died. Yeah, his his last days. Like there's businessmen and entrepreneurs that are 60, 70, 80, 90, still the first ones in the office, still the last ones to leave because they love the inner fulfilment that you get from creating things, from building things, from solving problems, from taking risks. And I think that, you know, that that is a very big driver. I'd like to unpick the whole concept of entrepreneur. You mentioned entrepreneur is about taking risks, um, creating things, working hard. Do you think there's a genetic part of that to, that creates entrepreneurs? Because we've got lots of business people listening to this yeah. and the entrepreneur community doesn't seem to hang together because we don't know what it stands for. What is it in us that makes us desperate to be in that community and be one of those people? I'm like you. I, I, I agree with you, but I've never been able to work it out. Yes, it, it's a very good question because, you know, if I bring it back to my parents, like I was saying before, they're not entrepreneurial. They're per hour employees. But when I think about, like I was saying, what they've been through with immigration, that's very entrepreneurial skills. It's a big adventure. Yeah. So then it's like when you say, is it something you're born with? I'd say, well, yeah, you know, I'm the child of my parents and I grew up seeing the hard work. I grew up seeing the risk taking. So that definitely contributed to it. Uh, but I think that it, it, it's all things that can be learned. Like I had the honour and privilege of seeing my parents do that and that instilled the right ethos in me. Um, I think for most people uh, it's something you can fall in love with. It's the same as Lego. It's like why is Lego the most popular toy in the world? Well, you get it. It's all jumbled up. You work really, really hard. You dedicate time to it. You think you solve it. And that amazing feeling you get at the end when you put the last piece on is what entrepreneurship is. It's a group of people who like creating things, building things, aren't scared of a bit of hard work. And I guess when you say there's no underlying community uh, that, that binds it all together, you know, you're probably right, but I'd hope that that changes over time because I think social pressures have eroded that a little bit. Did you mean social pressures of being an entrepreneur? I think, yeah, there's like you look at our news and media cycle and it's all about trying to poke holes in business people and entrepreneurs and what they're doing wrong. There's no real... You know, the pursuit of profit, for instance, is seen as a very negative thing. It's not, people don't look at it and go, oh, how has the world changed because of this person? What product or service have they invented? Like, you know, my mum 
used to have these Nokia phones and would not know what she's doing and how they work or anything like that. When I got her an iPhone, all of a sudden she's got apps, she's connecting with people, she knows how to use it. Like that's why Steve Jobs was really rich because he, through the pursuit of profit, invented lots of products that enhanced people's lives. Like Kerry Packer gave us one-day cricket um, and, you know, various forms of entertainment. Like you look at any business person and entrepreneur, they've all contributed to impacting millions of lives. And I think that that's what, that's what binds um, entrepreneurs and I think it gets some negative, negative stigma because the real successful business people and entrepreneurs are not doing it because they want to uh, pursue profit. There's nothing evil or wrong with pursuing profit, but that's not the driver because you're very quickly going to run out of energy and give up. As you would know, to do something successfully, you've got to absolutely love it and you've got to really be on board with the mission and see the impact that you're having. That's what enables you to work the 100-hour weeks. And that's the main driver for business people and entrepreneurs. And when they succeed at creating a product or service that does things better uh, for uh, for society and for humans in general, that's when the profit comes. But it's never the driver. So, you know, whether it be the cars or transportation that got us here today. It's all thanks to the pursuit um, of innovation and change by some entrepreneurs, the clothing we're wearing, this camera, this light, this microphone. There's entrepreneurs and business people behind it, losing sleep every single day saying, how can I make it better? And I think that that's what binds us all together. That's a really interesting answer to my question. And how do you get the right mindset, given what you've just said about trying to make things better, trying to leave a legacy behind. Um, and you, you just touched on a whole lot of interesting things about, you know, iPhones, et cetera. How do you use, how do you deal with the trials and tribulations that you get confronted with literally daily? How do you um, balance that up against the, the ultimate goal of leaving a legacy behind? I mean, I want to know how you do it because a lot of people today, it's tough times, you know, interest rate rises all around the place, you know, people stop spending, lots of little businesses are being confronted with drops in revenue, et cetera. And now is a time for mindset. You've got to have the right mindset. And listening to someone like you, they might get a little bit of inspiration and motivation just to keep going for a period. But go, the brain comes straight back. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm back here now with Russ and Kogan, and we're talking about all things entrepreneurial, actually, and um, the DNA around entrepreneurs and what sort of drove him in, in, in a lot of respects, being creative, um, you know, leaving a legacy for an entrepreneur, the things that drive you as opposed to just sheer profits. And, and I agree with you. Most business people in business and entrepreneurs are not really thinking about profit except when they've got to talk to the bank or if they've got shareholders, as in, your, in my case, we've got to talk to our shareholders. Um, and a lot of times they don't think we make enough profit. They, well, they never think we make enough profit. Well, they never think they get enough share of profit, put it that way. Um, but it's not that's not how we operate. I don't operate that way um, like you. Uh, I remember Kerry Packer once said to me when we were in partnership, he said, um, when are you going to put your – when are we going to increase our margins on to pull some more profit out of every every loan we make? I said, Kerry, I'm acting I, – everything I do is in relation to what's in the best interest of the business and I think that's – end up being the best interest of, of you and me as shareholders. And what's in the best interest of the business is what's in the best interest for customers. And uh, so, and he copped it, he copped that answer, copped that argument, but we were lucky, we were good times. We never really experienced a crappy time during that period when I was in partnership with him. We didn't experience a downturn, he and I, but right now we've got downturns and it's not about the pursuit of profits, it's about pursuit of survival and it's about the pursuit of um, still doing a good thing, delivering something good. In your case, bringing e-commerce to Australia, particularly for you know, what you were originally selling on, I think, with televisions or something yeah, like that. TVs was our first Yeah, there's the original product. But now you, you pretty much sell everything. Um, um, how do you get through downturns? Well, I think, Mark, you said it perfectly. You've got to be customer-focused. Whatever business you're running, whether it's a B2C operation or a B2B operation, whatever business, a business only exists because it has customers. If you take the customers away even the greatest business in the world falls over. So you can't lose sight of that. And you have to be customer-driven in every approach. Like I, before planes had internet, when before I'd bought a flight, I would get my team to upload a whole heap of random phone calls and I would download them and I would sit there on the flight listening to phone calls with customers. I just wanted to spend the flight hearing what are our customers saying? What are they concerned about? What's the tone of their voice like? Are they happy, excited, sad, angry? How can we handle these situations better? How do we become a more customer-centric organisation? When people ask me, is my website any good? You're in online. Have a look at my website. Tell me what you think. I tell them, what I think is completely irrelevant. Load up your analytics have a look. What are customers looking at? What are they not looking at? What uh, pages are causing them to stay? What's causing them to leave? Um, learn about your customer and what they want because without that, your business is finished. So you need to be razor focused on your customers and what they want. In the current times, obviously, we are seeing a bit of a downturn at the moment with the macroeconomic environment. There's no doubt people are doing it tougher. Interest rates are going up, petrol prices, energy prices. Um, there's all sorts of pressures on the consumer. But the same underlying philosophy applies. 
What do your customers want? Do they want different types of products? Do they want cheaper products? Do they want different types of alternatives? And by being focused on that with analytics and what customers want, no matter what the macro environment does, you can ensure that your business always thrives if it's focused on the customer. Do you sit down with your staff and your business colleagues? How do you keep them connected? Fortunately for us, it's in our DNA. We've run this company like there's a downturn from day one. So when I went to business leaders when I was starting this business and said, hey, I've got this idea to sell TVs online, they turned me away saying online's for books and CDs. And as a result, we never raised any money. So it was all funded through profitability and cash flows. And that's how we grew. So from day dot, we knew if we want to buy apples for the office, we're comparing the price of Pink Lady Apples with Pink Lady Apples and buying the best value ones. And Everything is all about efficiency, low cost, and running a lean organization. And during a time like this, that becomes obviously very handy. Yes, there's been a time over the last 10 years where capital has been almost free and all you had to do is do a PowerPoint presentation, show it to a few investors, and you've got you've raised 50 or $100 million without anyone even knowing what the business does. Um but they were extraordinary. Yeah, most so people think a lot of people. There's a lot of people, uh, Razan, who think that that's was that's normal. Yeah, I mean, that's you not and I know, that, 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 that won't happen again for a while, if ever again. Um, but if that happened to you, chances are you're probably not going to run a lean business because you haven't seen a rainy day. Um, you know, we've been running Kogan.com uh, very lean from from day one. So so we benefit from that, and also our culture is very analytical in order to ensure that we're doing exactly what customers want us to do, whether it's what products we're sourcing, what's in demand, what's spiking in interest, what doesn't have interest, um, how much uh, of various categories to do. It's all data-driven based on what people are doing and searching on our website. So from I often joke that we're a statistics business masquerading as an e-commerce company. So all, all of that's in our DNA. So I haven't, I've been lucky, I haven't really had to talk to our team and say, hey, there's a downturn, here's how we're going to change. It's just been BAU for us, business as usual. Would you, would you describe yourself as a, a retailer of uh, goods or would you describe yourself as a tech business? What are you? That's Kogan.com. What is Kogan.com? Yeah, it, I'd say we're both because we do sell goods. Like our part of we've got over 30 million products on offer. So, wow, 30 million. Yeah. So it is a, we are a retailer of products. When people want something, they come to our site, they get a good price on it, they click a few times, it arrives at their house. So we definitely are a retailer. But if you rewind 10 years ago, we were completely a first-party retailer. Yes, we were a tech company from the fact that we had a website, but every product we sold, we had as our own inventory in our own warehouse. So it, was, it wasn't it was a capital-light business model. If you look to where we are now, the vast majority of our business is our tech platform. The majority of our sales come from retailers all over the country selling products through our platform. 
So through the Kogan marketplace. So proper marketplace. Yeah. So any any retailer that's a good operator can uh, sign up with us, start listing their products, and reach millions of customers Australia wide. Um, then there's others like our tech platform around Kogan Mobile, Kogan Energy, and so on, where um, you know we've built web portals to do those verticals really uh, efficiently. Um, and our Kogan First uh, subscription model that gives customers benefits across the array of things. So, what's Kogan First? It's a you can subscribe to Kogan First. You pay us a fee, and in return, you get free shipping. You get credits on every order. You get exclusive discounts and discounts across our various verticals. So, the vast majority of our revenue and GP now is from subscription-type platform services rather than first-party retail. So, so, so it's um, definitely a tech, it's vast majority tech company, part retail. When you uh, recruit your people, I mean, uh, recruitment and retention is a big deal, do you offer them synthetics in terms of um, equity or do you, do you offer your people upside? Do you have yeah, to? You, you feel as though you have to do There was one of the main reasons that we IPO'd was, you know, we were in our first 10 years without any external capital in the business. So there were two main reasons. One is we knew we're leaving a lot on the table if we had more funding into the company. The other one was we had all these amazing team members that had contributed so much and we wanted to share a piece of the pie with them in a meaningful way, which you can do when you're a public company. So, yeah, we do... Uh, reward our team members with equity and performance rights, um, you know, usually vesting in a certain period of, of time. So that, that, is one of the, that is one of the tools that we use to make sure that our team has skin in the game, that they're incentivized, that they're motivated uh, to look after our customers and build the business. And do you feel as though uh, after COVID, post-COVID, did you have any difficulty finding employees like every one of the rest of us did? Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and so, was it, so did that work for you in order to attract people? That, that's one of the elements that works. So let's forget the shortages that COVID caused. It was already hard enough to build a team so yep. pre-COVID. It was difficult and even more difficult for us because say, for instance, I run a, a more mature business model like a supermarket and I need a store manager. I could probably put a job ad up and no matter if I'm, if I'm running a Coles, I could hire a store manager who's run a Woolies before or an IGA or something else and they'll step in and on day one they'll know 98% of what they need to do and, and how to do it. When you're pioneering new things in tech and e-commerce in a very young industry, uh, there's not many people that have done the role before. So you can't really hire someone to go and do um, dynamic targeting for us of, um, you know, customer segments or building out uh, loyalty subscription e-commerce platforms when no one else in Australia has done that before. So it's very, very hard. So you have to start thinking first principles like we're after somebody who's analytical and somebody who can think outside the box, right? And I don't care if they're currently a doctor or an engineer or working for a bank or working for wherever, as long as they've got those skills, they'll step in and be able to do it. Like we had running our 
running our um, SAP platform and our internal systems, we had a doctor doing it because, you know, they had the skill set. For our tech, we had um, his uh, uh, qualified lawyer and engineer. So you, you take people based on the underlying skill set. So it was already hard, hard enough. And then obviously COVID caused all sorts of all sorts of shortages and became even harder. How do you attract people apart from giving them equity and upside? How do you attract them? Is it part of your culture? I mean, is it a cultural yeah. thing? So we promote our meritocracy. So for us, the way the organisation has always worked is I learnt in the corporate world when I did a short stint there of exactly what not to do. And that is to have lots of layers and prescribed, you do this for two years, you report to this person, then you do this for two years and so on. At Kogan.com, if you're good, if you contribute, if you can show that you've put runs on the board, if you add value, think outside the box, everyone's allowed to question every process. Our internal mantra is there is always a better way. So no matter how, no matter how well we do things today, we know that's just the best we've come up with until today and there's a better way to do it. And everyone should feel free to recommend changes and challenge ideas no matter if they've been with us for a week or they're senior or junior or they've been with us for 10 years. Saying we do this because that's just how we've always done it is a fireable offence in our yep. organisation. We want everyone to question everything and be judged on the merit of their ideas. That's, that's good. So, it's, it's, so it's we, very promote that and adver- we promote that and advertise that and we hope that that causes, uh, causes people to go, hey, that sounds like the sort of place where I want to work. And then on top of that, we promote the fact that we're a fast-moving organisation where you can come up with an idea today at 10am and have it out to 10 million people in our database by 3pm. We move quick, we test things, we iterate and um, we push it out. So if you're a marketer at Kogan.com and you've got a cool idea for a promotion, literally a few hours later, hundreds of thousands of people are looking at it uh, on our website or you can push it out to our subscriber base that's got around 10 million people in it. So many other places that aren't like us a marketer could come up with an idea and maybe six months later they'll see it out in the wild. Sanitised too. Yeah. It'd be so, totally sanitised. So we, we like that and as a result we've attracted a team that is highly, um, loves the fact that it's merit-based. They love being judged purely on their contributions and no other factors at all and being able to then um, see their work in action very quickly and they get a lot of inner fulfilment uh, from that. So those are the two key things on which we compete. That means Rosalind's got to be very involved or, or do you set up um, you know, a system whereby something can be approved quickly or do you actually, are you so intimately involved in the business you can say, no, that's a good idea, put it out at 3 p.m.? How does that work? Yeah, I'm not in like the, I, I wouldn't even see that stuff. Like I'm involved heavily with the business and lots of things, but we've got a few checks and balances in play. Like from a marketing perspective, it, uh, we've got a very quick, um, you know, legal approval process and, um, you know, compliance process where there's a quick checkbox. Does it comply with this? Does it comply with this? Does it comply with that? Are all policies in check? Yes, got it. 
Um, so, but who makes the decision? It's yeah, it's a good idea. Uh, the, one of the team members. The and it's all about testing. Like we want the numbers and the and the analytics to speak for itself. So, like you might have an idea that five people in the room say is really good, but then you you A B test it against something else and it loses. So you know, what people think is irrelevant. So we're like, no matter what the idea is, put it out there, test it. If it's good, do more of it. If it's bad, stop it. And so we iterate through that. And by iterating quickly like that, you end up at really good creative, really good ideas. And no matter how left the field the idea is, let's try it. We can easily try it. We'll try it today. If it was good, We'll do more of it. If it's bad, we'll stop it. So having that really quick feedback loop through data and analytics enables us to not really care about judging the idea early on in the piece. It's more about executing, executing, executing and continuing to iterate. That's one of the great things about digital as well. I Definitely, mean, allows yeah. You to do that sort of stuff. So your personality is one that draws attention. Like, you know, it just gets attention. It works for Kogan.com. Um what about when you get the wrong attention? What about when media give you a bit of a slap? Is that how, how do you, where do you draw your resilience from? Yeah. Uh, the getting attention piece is interesting. Like I spent a lot of my time at school being kicked out of the classroom for, you know, being the class clown amongst other things. So who would have thought that that would be a really valuable skill later in life? Um, it worked. Yeah. So it, it worked. In terms of the media, look, um, Maybe I was a little bit more sensitive to it in the early days, but yeah, you grow a thick skin. Um, we're doing stuff that impacts uh, millions of customers every day. We've got lots of shareholders. We're a public company. With that comes the good and the bad. I think it's it's fair game to criticize me and say what you like or what you don't like, and um, I have to I have to cop it on the chin. But um, yeah, I. I I'm all for scrutiny. Like I think that 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 is that is a that is a very good thing, and I think that we should have open debates and discussions and scrutinizing all business people and all businesses and all product offerings and everything that goes on in the economy. Because I think if we do that, uh, we'll end up with a better retail market, a better economy, and better value for customers. So I. I, I want more scrutiny, not less. But if you take that attitude, your attitude, that is I'm happy for it to be scrutinised because the only way I can improve and the system can improve is that everybody gets scrutinised and uh, questions get asked all the time. Yeah, it's So good. if you take that attitude, then to some extent um, people having a crack at you in the media means nothing, it's meaningless. Yeah. Whereas if you take yourself too seriously when they start coming at you, you could get in. You could get depressed, yeah. badly depressed, and you could actually sort of then start making yeah. really bad decisions. Where did you learn to have that view? That that sort of big view. That's a big view. That's a that's a a very broad view. Is that a technique you mm. use to build resilience, or is that just how you think? It's just how I think. I'm all for. I, I'm all for open markets and free markets and debate and controversy and free speech and being able to discuss and debate ideas. I think that 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 is that is you know one of the reasons that my parents took a massive risk to leave a communist country 
to come to Australia for a better life for their kids. So if my parents did all of that and I sit here and advocate, no, 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 you shouldn't be allowed to talk about me or the business or this topic or say these things or say that things, it should all be censored and not discussed, um, that would be a massive slap in the face to my parents. So I'm all for... I'm all for openness and scrutiny. And also I think that the more scrutiny there is of retailers and deals and what they're doing uh, for customers and how customers benefit, I think the more scrutiny there is, we're going to win way more market share. So I'm I'm all for more scrutiny. Yeah, you're saying you're backing yourself as an organisation relative to your your peers. From providing value and there is no more efficient way to get a product from point of manufacture into the customer's hands than what the Kogan.com business model was designed to do. Take me through that then. We work directly with contract manufacturers. We will run tenders between multiple of them. We will heavily scrutinise and evaluate every factory, negotiate really hard, get the products manufactured at incredible prices, load containers full of those products. After we have run tenders with every shipping company to find the best way to get a container from the manufacturer to Australia, bring the products in, put them in a warehouse and then deliver them directly to customers after we have run a massive tender between all the freight providers of who can do the best value logistics. There is no lost margin. There's no middlemen. There's no wastage in that supply chain. The absolute best way to get a product from point of manufacture to the customer. Based on that, I love scrutiny. Let's scrutinize everyone. Let's evaluate every offer because we're going to win. So, 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 and maybe another part of the description of your company is you're a logistics company too. Yeah, that's or you know we're out there negotiating on the customer's behalf every day across every element uh, of the supply chain. So it's all about efficiency and using technology. Uh, to get products into customers' hands for a better price. Yeah, in other words, you're saying, look, we're a marketplace. You come to my marketplace if you're a, a vendor, in other words, a manufacturer, for example, and you can come to my marketplace if you're a consumer. And what we'll do is we'll make sure we get things to you in the most efficient way than anyone else in the marketplace and at the right price. That That's our and, duty and, to and, our and, customers. Yeah, and we'll have the – the array of products, 30 million products, what yeah. it was, um, 30 million, we'll, we'll just keep building our product base. That's yeah. a pretty powerful proposition. That, that's what our business does. So, you know, we we have been there as advocates for the customer um, for a while. Now, you know, when you look at the whole retail market in Australia, we're fairly small, you know, call it a billion dollars of sales. There's some of our competitors are doing 5 billion, 10 billion, they're, they're much bigger than us. But when you look at the impact that our business has had, it's not even so much that out of the billion dollars a year of products we sell through our site, those customers save a lot of money. It's that we see everyone else in the marketplace monitors us closely and the moments we drive prices down, it causes them to also react. So while we do... You know, we do a billion dollars of sales a year and let's say our customers have saved $300 million compared to what they would have paid if they bought those products elsewhere. At the same time, 
for the rest of the retail market, we're causing customers to pay smaller prices because we're increasing competition and driving prices down across every retailer in the country. And that's almost a bigger impact than our business in and of itself. As an immigrant into this country, leaving a a shithole in uh, Belarus at the time at least, what do you feel most proud of? I think the sheer impact of what our team has done across uh, so many customers. Like we've got uh, close to half a million um, Kogan First, uh, which is our subscription program customers. And I tell our, I tell our team, um, I say, uh, look, uh, next time you're at the MCG, if there's a f- packed stadium, take a look around the MCG and if you want to know how many Kogan First customers we've got, it's like four or five times a packed MCG. We Every year we've got over three million active customers we've had. Like have a look around at the MCG. How many people have shopped with us in the last year? That's 30 full MCGs because in the online world, a lot of this stuff becomes like reports on a dashboard or numbers in a spreadsheet. Uh, We've got warehouses all over the country. Our head office is in South Melbourne, but our warehouses are elsewhere. So our team don't actually see every single parcel leaving the door and getting delivered and the smile on customers' faces when they receive it and so on. So just the sheer understanding of the impact the business has had and how many customers it's affected, I think that's what that's what I'm most proud of. And your parents still alive? Yeah. Mum and dad going strong there. You know, mum cried when I first started this business. She thought I was becoming a TV salesman after getting an education and had a good job. Um, now now they're, they're proud, but I'd say I'm even more proud of them. And, and just finally, yeah, um, have you have you got a partner? You've got kids. And yeah, stuff so like that? married with a young daughter and another one on the way in a couple of months. So very exciting time. That is fantastic, and uh, I have to be honest with you. I'm so glad you came in today um, because I just th- think your descriptions of the impact of your business on consumers and and your colleagues or your work colleagues at work and the impact of what they do for consumers is. Uh, a great reminder of why most of us are in business. It's about, as you say, improving people's lives, improving business models, um, introducing new business models, and uh, probably also and building people in your own organisation along with the culture, but building them up to become great business people too. So, Rosalyn Cogan, thanks very much. I really, I really did enjoy today's conversation. Thanks a lot, Mark. I'm very grateful for this opportunity. You've inspired so many entrepreneurs over the years. So it's an absolute pleasure to chat. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Mentor with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistance, Simon McDermott. This is a mentored podcast.